happen. We'll just we'll see you then. And uh, thank you for your prayers again. And uh, just keep them up. And uh, I'll see y'all when I get back. Take care, everybody. Amen. Amen. Uh, would you, while you're standing, this uh, join me in a quick word of prayer this morning. Let's pray for Pastor's family while we're thinking of him. And uh, we're just going to take a moment to just pray. Father, this morning, Lord, we are thankful. We are so thankful to be here. Lord, we're thankful for your presence that's already been felt in this place. Lord, the, this, the powerful songs that have been sung, Lord, we do that for your glory and yours alone because you're worthy. Lord, I pray right now as, as the deliverer of this message this morning, you would pour into me so I can pour out to our, our church. Lord, that you would hide me behind the cross. And right now, Lord, we're asking that you would give special favor and grace in the situation that Pastor Malcolm is in right now with his family. Lord, that you give him the powerful words to speak in those, those moments where it seems like there is no hope, when it feels like there is no light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, I pray that you would give him the words of wisdom that that family needs to hear at that moment. And Lord, if it is your will, Lord, I pray if there's any family members that do not know you as their personal Savior, Lord, that they would uh, be confronted with the reality of death and the reality that there is a God and that they would be transformed forever from death to life. And Lord, we just pray these things in your name. Amen, amen, amen. Um, you go ahead and be seated, uh, and, and while you're uh, finding your place, uh, go ahead and get your Bibles out. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 1. Psalm chapter 1. Um, this will make sense in a minute. Uh, just a random tree on stage. Uh, so here's the deal. I, uh, I was asked to be ready by thir- Thursday, they asked me. I said, you might need to be ready for Sunday. I said, okay, good. And they said, just in case. I was like, okay, just in case, I'll be ready. And uh, they said, they'll make the final word on Friday. And so Friday came, and, uh, and, and what, you know, my little girl was sick, so I didn't get to go into work Friday. And, and, uh, and so I'm sitting at home, and Dustin calls me and says, you're on deck for Sunday. I said, okay. And so I'm thinking, I'm like, Lord, all right, you, you know what this church stands in need, on, in need in, and you know what my heart is, and what do you want me to preach about? And uh, this is a message I've actually have done down in, in TSM. And we've been in a series, if you have a high schooler, a middle schooler that goes to TSM on Wednesday night and actually pays attention, then uh, the month of January, uh, you would have heard that we were battling some pretty tough topics. Um, we, we, our very first one off the bat, the very first Wednesday night of the month, we talked about same-sex attraction and homosexuality. Uh, and the very next, month, our ne- very next week, we talked about um, self-harm. And then we talked about social media. And then uh, we ended up with the topic of abortion. Like, these are heavy topics to be talking to teenagers about, but here's the reality. This is something they're living in currently, all right? Um, we can't be ignorant and, and think that this is something that sixth graders don't understand. Yeah, there's some sixth graders that this is kind of not that makes sense to them, but there's some sixth graders that know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and there's a lot of high schoolers. Matter of fact, just about every one of the high schoolers know exactly what I'm talking about and have been confronted with some of these issues already. And, and on the issue of self-harm, I just want to let you be aware of, as parents in this room and grandparents in this room, um, self-harm is probably one of the most, uh, most popular topics I counsel students on. And self-harm looks and, and, and functions different ways. Uh, it, it can be cutting. It can be burning. It could be punching. It could be pinching. It could be breaking of bones. It could be uh, um, not feeding yourself, malnutrition. It could be overfeeding yourself. Self-harm looks like a whole bunch of things. It could be substance abuse. It could be all these things is what self-harm is. And I counsel with more students on the issue of self-harm than any other thing. And when I talk to them about why they do it, 
their, their common response is, I'm just not happy. And I can't find happiness. And this is the only thing in my life that I feel like I can control. This pain I inflict on myself, everything else happens against my will. But the pain I inflict, that pain I can control. And for them, it, it kind of gives them a sense of, uh, of ownership of the things that happens to their life. And they're searching for a, a, just a little bit of release and a little bit of happiness. And, you know, I, I was thinking, I said, you know what, this isn't just a teenage issue. I think even as adults, we spend our life looking for happiness. We look for contentment. We look for joy. We look for something that's going to bring satisfaction. We're, we're searching for it. Even those in this room who have been faithful followers of Christ for many, many years, you have been searching for happiness, and you get these fleeting moments of happiness, but they just kind of come and go. And so very, this morning, what I'm going to speak to you about is this issue of how to be happy. Isn't that good? Amen. Isn't it good that the Bible promises us that we can be happy? Man, and I don't, some of you might be not, you may not believe that. You, may, you might be thinking, Brother Andrew, I don't, I don't understand how you say we can be happy Let's read together Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, blessed is the man. Now that word blessed, you can interchange that word blessed with the word happy. Okay? So you can put that word in there. I'm going to put it there for us to understand context. It says, happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly or the wicked, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. The scornful would be the pride the prideful or the arrogant or the entitled. That's, that's that, that seed of the scornful. That's what that means. Verse 2. But his delight. Whose delight? The happy man. Okay. The happy man's delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. In verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So my very first point this morning I want to bring out is this. Happiness is possible. Happiness is possible. Now, for some of us in this room, you're looking at me and you're thinking, you spent all this time studying to tell me happiness is possible? Like, duh. <laughs> like, right? Like, that's not like this great revelation. That's not something that is unknown and unheard of. Like, of course happiness is possible. But you know what the reality is? There's some people sitting next to you and around you that their first thought when I said happiness is possible, their first thought is, I wish it was possible. I wish I could have happiness. Like, there's people in this room that are struggling. Man, they are struggling. And, and this is what I've realized in my many years of ministry and, and being just in church in general. This is what I've discovered. Christians are the best fakers around. Man, we just put on a show for people. Man, our house burned down. And, and we just found out our dog got ran over. And the car wouldn't crank this morning. And you go up to somebody, how you doing? Brother, I'm too blessed to be stressed. <laughs> right? Knowing good and well, like in the inside, you're like, ah, like you're, just, you're panicking, you're in struggle, you're, you're in chaos mode. And, and, and the reality is a lot of us in here are faking happiness. We really don't possess happiness. And, and so some of you in this room, you really struggle trying to find happiness. And this is what I've discovered. I've, I've discovered there's four types of people when it comes to happiness. Four types. Um, the first type of person is the one who uh, happiness comes natural to them. This would be your morning person. <laughs> like, like the, I don't like morning. I'm, I, I'm trying to debate like what I'm going to say here because I don't like morning people. Uh, I'm not a morning person. 
And just because you're a morning person doesn't necessarily don't like you. I just don't like you between the hours of 6 and 9. That's, that's pretty much it. And so uh, morning people just kind of get on my nerves because they wake up and they're like, oh, good morning. And like that, they got their coffee and they've already read like 13 chapters of the Bible and they're just all bubbly. And, and I, I look like I just got ran over by a dump truck. I'm like, get out of my face. And so I'm just... I'm not a morning person, but there's some people who function just on this natural happiness. Everything about them is happy, and they're bubbly, and you know these kind of people. Like, you probably work with some of these people, and you're like, you avoid them for a little while because you just got to get engaged and get in gear and before you can talk to them. And then you got the people that happiness is unachievable. <clears throat> happiness is un- unachievable. And I follow some people like this on Facebook, and I'm not going to call anybody out because I can call some names. I'm not going to. Uh, happiness is unachievable. In other words, no matter how good of a time they've had, they got to bring it down. Like, had a good Thanksgiving with the family, but I burnt my pie. Like, you can't just enjoy the moment. I went out to the lake and really enjoyed the time on the water. Why has it got to be so hot? Like, you can't, everything, you cannot just live in a moment of happiness. You always have to bring it down. And, and you can't, you can't, you just can't be satisfied with anything. You always got to find a way to just kill the moment, right? And there's some people that are just like that. They just cannot find happiness. I call them the Eeyores. Remember Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh? Remember him? He can't ever be happy. He's like, I lost my tail. You know, like he just... Always depressed and always upset. These are the Eeyores of life. And, and you probably know some of them. And, and, and wives don't be looking at your husband. And husband don't be looking at your wives, okay? Because um, I'm guilty of calling Tracy a pessimist. She says she's a realist. I'm like, yeah, but stuff you think about doesn't really ever happen. We went on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic. And she made me take out, her and me both took out extra life insurance policies. Because she's like, what if we die? I'm like, well, I mean, yeah, possibility. She's like, what if we get Ebola? I'm like, yeah, maybe. She's like, what if we get eaten by cannibals? I'm like, not in the Dominican. Like, that's not going to happen. But in her mind, in her mind, that's how she functions. That's how she thinks. She's a warrior. And, that's, and, and some people are just like that. And then the happiness is elusive. In other words, it comes and goes. There's people who think happiness just comes and goes. You have these flashes in the pan of happiness, and then all of a sudden it kind of disperses, and you're back to being sad again. And you're happy, and you're sad, and you're happy, and you're sad, and it fluctuates in life. And then the last kind of people are the people who believe that happiness comes from what the scripture teaches. And and what I mean by this is um, these people just seem to be happy no matter what. And it's not a fake happiness. Like, Like I can smell a fake a mile away. But people who really live in what the scripture teaches and believe what the scripture teaches and invest their lives in what the scripture teaches, they just have this joy that's contagious. Man, you just enjoy being around them. They're like a magnet. They just draw you in. And my father-in-law, if I could just, if I could have him up here instead of this tree, I would. Because he's the perfect example of what someone who lives in biblical happiness looks like. My father-in-law, man, I brag on him all the time. He was my youth pastor when I was in youth group. And and yeah, I married a youth pastor's daughter. That's pretty fun. And then so... uh, So he was, he was a man that I, he was a role model. Me and Tracy moved in with him for about six months um, when we was transitioning from a church back up to Panama City. And we moved in for about six months with him and, uh, and my mother-in-law. And some of y'all are like, Lord, have mercy. But no, I love my in-laws. Like some of y'all have really bad, I have great in-laws. I love my in-laws. But my father-in-law is this man that you just, you look at him and he just has peace written all over his face. Man, he has just joy and he smiles 
and his smile is contagious. He's been here in worship a few times, and Jalen says that Jalen's like, I can't just stop, I can't not watch him. I just watch the whole time he's here because he just, he, he just looks so at peace and at joy and rest. And, and this is the kind of happiness I'm talking about. Not the superficial, not the bubbly, not the morning, uh, good morning kind of people, not the ones that think it comes and goes, not the ones who think it's not possible. The kind of joy and happiness I'm talking about is the ones who find their hope and rest in what the Scripture says. And so we look very carefully at what the book of Psalms says in chapter 1, verse 3. And I've never seen this until recently. And it says, And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. A tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. See, this is what, you, what I want you to understand is this tree... It's symbolic of the man, right? He says that, that this man shall be like a tree. So every time we read about the tree, we understand it's this happy man. I hope we understand that. This man and the tree are the same thing it's talking about here. It says this tree will experience seasons in life. I want you to understand that. This tree experiences seasons. Because it says it's going to bring forth his fruit in his season. You know what that means? There's going to be some times where there's some fruitless seasons. There's going to be some times when there's going to be a dry season, a cold season, a drought season. There's going to be times when, when all you can do is just exist because it's just a hard season. And some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about because you might be in a hard season right now or you've just come out of a hard season. But you know that you experience the weight of these seasons and this man, he'll be like a tree planted by streams of water, by rivers of water. Now, this is important. This is important. Because it's that river of water that he's planted by that gives him life to keep going. Now, what do I mean by that? See, this is what I mean. Sometimes we depend upon external things to bring us life. We, 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 want, we want people to rain down joy in our life. And so we just get our water and our nourishment from people. Here's the problem with that, and I'm, I'm a youth pastor, so I can say this kind of stuff and not worry about it unless Pastor Malcolm gets mad at me, but um, people can be jerks, all right? Let's just put it on Front Street. People can let you down. People you, you, you thought were going to be a, 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 an advocate for you, somebody that was going to build you up in the times of need, these people will let you down. And, and, and so the problem with le- letting people try to give you joy and give you happiness is eventually they're going to let you down, and, and that's going to run out. You can't depend upon relationships. You can't depend upon your spouse to bring you happiness and joy. You can't. Some of y'all, like Pastor Malcolm says, you come in here like Bonnie and Clyde, but you walk in like Ken and Barbie. And that's how we function in life, is that we, we, we fight with each other. And, and listen, there's times, as much as I love my wife and as much as she loves me, she don't make me happy sometimes. And she's not here right now, so I can just vent. And you know, She's probably watching online. Um, <laughs> Just cut that out. Um, But there's some times where my own wife doesn't bring me happiness. Sometimes we look for material things to bring us happy. Man, if I just had a new bass boat. Ooh, I got that new bass boat. Here comes that new bass boat payment. I'm not happy no more. (laughs) Right? If I just had a bigger house, well, I need four bedrooms and a basement and a game room, and now your electric bill is $750. Oh, man. Like, that ranch house wasn't too bad after all, was it? All of a sudden, you things, my new car, 
Guess what the new smell wears off after the first uh, bit of milkshake spills in your back seat because of your kids? Right? Like that new phone you thought you wanted so bad, it's going to bring you so much joy. I got to get that iPhone 10. And as soon as you get the iPhone 10, introducing the iPhone 11. You're like, oh, man. All of a sudden, what you thought was going to bring you joy and happiness, all these external things, it runs out. It doesn't, it doesn't work. Material things, people, that job you thought you wanted, and now you're working 65 hours a week and hardly ever get to see your family. And now you're wondering, God, why isn't this job bringing me happiness like I thought it would? This is the struggle people have as they're looking for all this external stuff to rain down on them to bring them happiness. And they're depending upon the external things of this world to bring them joy and bring them that that peace that they're looking for. But here is the problem. Eventually, it runs out. And it won't work. And so what do we look about? What What do we find out about this tree? He says, he's planted by rivers of water. <laughs> that means in a difficult season, when it's, when it's hot, when it's cold, when it's a fruitless season, you know what this tree does? It sends its roots down deep. It goes deeper. And it finds that, that, that river of life that flows beneath it, and it plugs into that. And it doesn't look for external things to bring it life. It doesn't look for external things to rain down on it. No, it goes to the source of life. And it goes deep. Into, it sends its roots down deep into the Lord, and it finds its help, and it finds its hope in that, and that alone. See, there's an old adage or a poem or however you want to call it. It goes like this. Two men stare through prison bars. One sees mud, one sees stars. Same place, same circumstance, same bars on the window, but what's the difference? It's in the man. One sees mud, the other sees stars. Because in verse 3, we see something important. It says that in these fruitless seasons, in these dry seasons, it says that his leaf does not wither. That means there's life. Even in the hard seasons, there's still life. There's still hope. There's still joy, even in the hard seasons. And you might be thinking, because this is the way I've always thought about like this, that you can't be happy and full of sorrow at the same time. I always thought one had to give way to the other. You can't be full of joy and heaviness at the same time. Those things can't exist in the same place at the same time. This is the way I've always existed. One, uh, always thought is that one had to exist and the other one couldn't exist. One had to give way to the other. But I want to show you something in First Peter Chapter 1, verse 6. If you want to turn there, you can, or you can just write it down and go there later. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, it says, Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season. There's that word again, season. It says, You're rejoicing now for a season, if need be. You are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Now, heaviness, that word means pain. It doesn't say that you used to rejoice, but now you're in pain. It doesn't say that, hey, uh, uh, pain gave way to rejoicing. No, I'm not not an English major, and so you can correct me if if I'm wrong. But what I see here are two present tense verbs, rejoice and heaviness. These two things exist at the same time. Think about that. He says you are rejoicing even though you're in pain. One doesn't have to give way to the other. You can find joy in the hardest of times. You can find peace 
in the most trying of times. You can find uh, happiness in the most painful of times. Because even when it's a fruitless season, your leaf doesn't wither. There's still life there. There's still hope there. There's still joy there. And, and please listen to me. And I, don't want you I, I want you to understand something. I, I, I don't want you to think I'm saying to you this morning that, hey, you know what? Just buck up there, boy. You're a Christian by God. You shouldn't be sad. You shouldn't, uh, you shouldn't be feeling like this. Because how many times does that work? When somebody get like, get over it. Like, oh, I never thought about that. Like, that's all I got. Just get over it. Oh, that's so easy. Like, no, that doesn't work like that. Ah, oh, it'll get better. Don't worry. Don't worry. Oh, that's what I've been doing this whole time. I need to not do that. Like, no, it doesn't work like that, does it? You can't just turn it off. So what I'm telling you is not that, hey, get over it. What I'm trying to give you is hope. Because we see that during the hard times, the difficult times, the times of drought, that this tree has to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And there's something about a drought. There's something about a fruitless season that as a Christian will make you put your roots down deeper in the Lord, deeper than you ever had to before. And because of that, you get to experience him in a way you've never experienced him before. And as you go into the depths of who God is, you find out that there is joy unlimited. You find out that there is peace unlimited. You find out there is an ever-running supply of life beneath you. And all you got to do is plug into that. See, the Holy Spirit has come and resided in every believer. And his Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. So guess what? In the difficult times, what you got to do is just plug into that spirit that's inside of you, that Holy Spirit, that God spirit, and just find that comfort that passes all understanding that even in the driest of times you have hope and you just shoot your roots down deep into that. Just down deep. We don't depend upon the outside circumstances to find our happiness because those things will let us down. Man, I can't tell you how many alcoholics and drug addicts I've talked to that said I was just looking for an escape and as they look for that escape in substances what they find out it is not an escape it's a trap over and over and over again I can't tell you how many people are in debt over their heads because they're looking for happiness and that happiness they try to find in materialistic things has become a trap relationships how many times man and in youth ministry, this is a big deal because you have high schoolers and middle schoolers, they have a boyfriend every other week, and they put on their, on their Facebook and their Instagram, like, I'm in love. I'm like, you don't even know his last name. Like, you can't be in love. Like, just, just learn how to color in the lines, and you'll be good, okay? Don't worry about relationships right now. But for a lot of them, they try to find joy and happiness and peace in the relationships. But I'm going to tell you, people are jerks, <laughs> and they'll let you down. And so when I speak about biblical happiness, what I want you to understand is I'm not talking about superficial happiness, that fake happiness. We talked about that earlier. We're good fakers as Christians. Man, we can put on a good face, and we can make everybody believe that everything's okay, but inside we're in turmoil. I'm not talking about that kind of that superficial happiness. I'm not talking about the bubbly happiness where you feel like you've got to walk around and, hey, guys, how you doing? Hallelujah, bless God. That's not the kind of happiness I'm talking about either. I'm not talking about the happiness where you're just laughing all the time. no. Biblical happiness is this. It's a joy that keeps going in difficult times. It's a joy that even thrives when it's painful. 
It's a happiness and a joy that's present when you're going through a fruitless season in your life. So what happens is in the moment where you're feeling an emotional hurt and you're feeling emotional pain and you feel hopeless and you feel rejected and you feel overwhelmed and you feel anxious and you feel, fear, you feel fearful and the memories of the past start flooding in around you, you know what you do? You just shoot your roots down deep. You go deep. And you remember who you are in God. And, and you find hope and joy Within, And this is what you're going to find. You're going to find that suddenly, suddenly what you'll find is that you begin to feel not a lack of pain and not a lack of grief. Because we just understood from 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 6 that pain and heaviness can still be felt. But what you'll find is in the moment where you're experiencing pain and grief and sorrow, you'll also have an overwhelming presence of joy. And in the middle of your pain, you'll experience joy. These, th- these two things don't contradict. They can live in harmony you got to shoot your roots down deep. And here's what I've understood about the Lord. Number two, happiness is elusive for those who search for it. Now, I don't have those pretty points where they're all, you know, uh, whatever Pastor Malcolm does. He's like a sermon wizard. I don't know how he does it. Um, But he has all the points that line up and make sense and everything. This is my point, okay? Happiness is elusive for those who search for it. In other words, it's like a carrot on a stick. You remember the old uh, cartoon shows where there's a donkey and they'd have a carrot on a stick and they put it out in front of the donkey and that donkey could never quite get it, but it would always chase that carrot on a stick. That's what happiness can be. What, What do I mean by that? Happiness, you cannot force happiness. You can't. Be happy. You're like, I don't know what to do. And so you can't force it. You can't. Maybe you had a mama like I had a mama. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hide names for my safety. <clears throat> so I'm gonna make up a name Aunt Judy. I don't have an Aunt Judy. All right? But maybe there was a, 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 maybe you had a mama like I had a mama, and we had to go visit Aunt Judy. And we didn't like going to see Aunt Judy. Me and my sister, we didn't like going to see Aunt Judy because Aunt Judy's house smelled weird. <laughs> Aunt Judy had a doll collection, and she had one of those, those, those clown paintings on the wall that's eyes followed you no matter where you were. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Them things are creepy. Nobody should own one of them. If you got one, go burn it. Um, and so my Aunt Judy, her house smelled funny. She had, she had doll collection, and she had a weird clown on the wall, and nobody liked going to Aunt Judy's house because also her food tasted like her house smelled. You know what I'm talking about? Like, ever had that experience where you eat the food and it tastes exactly like the house smells? And so we didn't like going to Aunt Judy's house. But my mom would make us get in the car, and me and my sister in the back seat just fighting and arguing, and we're upset. We're like, I don't want to go. And we're just, man, we're just pitching a fit. And my mom would turn around, and she's like, we're going to your Aunt Judy's house, and you're going to have a good time. <laughs> All right? So we got to Aunt Judy's house. Can I, get, can I tell you one thing we did not have? A good time. <laughs> her house still smelled like mothballs, and her clown was still following me all over the place, and them creepy dolls were still on the shelves. I did not like Aunt Judy's house, but she told me I had to have a good time. But I can tell you, I didn't have a good time. You cannot force happiness. And, and so many people try to find happiness, and they, they discover real quickly that they can't really get it. They do things that create happiness, but that's never a guarantee. Like, I like to go fishing. And, and, and they say, like, a, a bad day of fishing is better than a good day at work. Let me tell you something. Last year in the temple tournament, I fell in the water at 7 o'clock that morning, <laughs> and it was 41 <laughs> degrees outside. 
I wasn't happy at all, all day long. All right? And I love fishing, but I was not okay, and I did not like it that day, and I struggled. And my wife, her thing, she likes to go shopping. That's what makes her happy. She don't even have to buy anything. And you're like, how did you do that? I don't know. This is her thing. She likes to go shopping. Sometimes she just tries on clothes, and that's her thing. And she just gets joy out of just spending time alone by herself in Target or whatever, just walking down the aisles. And, uh, but there's some days she comes home just stressed out because the store's overwhelmed, and, and there's people everywhere. And she becomes, she becomes more anxious than when she left. And maybe you find joy in other things. Maybe you find joy in going to see your grandkids. Boy, them little bundles of joy. Until you stop at the house one day and they're they like jacked up on caffeine and chocolate and you're like, I got to get out of here. Like there's sometimes even the grandkids could get on your nerves. See, these things don't always bring happiness. But when we search for happiness, it's like this thing that's always out there that we can't quite get to. This is why. This is why you can never just force happiness. Because happiness is always the byproduct of something else. Happiness is never the goal. It's the byproduct of something. Let me give you an example. The Bible never says, remember that word blessed? Blessed means happy. It never says, blessed are those who search for blessedness. It never says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for blessedness. Does it? No, it says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. <laughs> the more you pursue righteousness, the byproduct is happiness. Now, I want you to think about that just for a second. That happiness is the guaranteed byproduct of pursuing righteousness. But whose righteousness? God's righteousness. In, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33... This is kind of the end of, of the Beatitudes section, this great sermon that Jesus is preaching, Matthew 5 and 6. In Matthew 6, it says, But seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. All what things? All that happiness he was talking about in Matthew 5. He says, If you seek his kingdom and his righteousness, then all the happiness you could ever contain will just be given to you. It'll just be it's this one big box of just happiness. And this is what's so great. This is what's so great. John Piper said this, the more God is glorified in you, the more satisfied you are in him. The more God is glorified in you, the more satisfied you are in him. So what does this mean? It's a circle that never runs dry. The more that you make him a big deal, the more that you make his name famous, the more that you pursue him and his standards and his obedience and his will, the more that you do those things and you make him glorified in your life, he supplies you with the satisfaction and the contentment and the happiness that you could ever want. The byproduct of making him the big deal of your life, happiness. It's this great exchange. I glorify him, he satisfies me. I glorify him, he satisfies me. And it's this never-ending circle. The more I glorify him, the happier he makes me. And that's why you can find these missionaries who have lost everything on the mission field. Lost everything. Adonai and Judson lost multiple wives and multiple children. Didn't see his first convert for like seven years. But he had joy. Because the more he glorified God, the more that God satisfied him. And this is the key because I think the biggest disconnect is that we're searching for happiness instead of righteousness. 
Think about that. What are you pursuing more? Your happiness or his righteousness? Because if you pursue happiness instead of righteousness, you won't get either. But if you pursue his righteousness instead of your happiness, you'll get both. (laughs) You aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. You aim at earth, you get neither. The more you pursue his righteousness is the more he'll satisfy your happiness. This is how this works. So you're telling me in order to find true happiness, I'm not supposed to search for it? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we're not supposed to look, look for it, and, and how am I supposed to find it? When you find God and you pursue him, you'll find your happiness. Happiness is a byproduct. Number three, happiness is something you choose. Now, disclaimer here. I know and I understand there's people who have real chemical imbalances that fight real things like depression, and you have to take medication. So please, by by no means, don't think I'm undermining that, okay? I'm not saying all you got to do is choose to be happy. There's people who really genuinely struggle trying to find happiness, and I'm not trying to discount that one bit. But I want you to see something in verses 1 and 2. It says blessed. Okay, that word blessed means happy, right? Happy is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners. And here's key. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Remember, scornful means prideful or the entitled. See, in, in Jewish thought, in Hebrew thought, where you sit is where you belong. If you sat with a bunch of Romans, guess what they would assume you are? Roman. If you sat with a bunch of slaves, they would assume that you're a slave. If you sat with the Pharisees, they would assume that you are a Pharisee. Where you sat is where you belong. Therefore, if you sat with the scornful and the prideful and the entitled, that's where you belong. And and why is this a big deal? Because this is what I believe. Nothing kills joy and happiness faster than an entitled mindset. Why? Why? Because you believe you deserve, you deserve more than what you've got. And why is that a killer of joy? Because in some way, we feel like God owes us. That is a dangerous, dangerous way to think. That God owes you something. That God is in debt to you. God owes you nothing. He owes me nothing. The very fact that he gave his son Jesus Christ to die for me in my place is more than enough. More than enough. It is sufficient. But we get this idea that when God doesn't answer our prayer, somehow he let us down. Like you were entitled to that thing. You didn't heal my loved one, so you're angry at God. Well, who told you he was supposed to? And that's a hard pill to swallow because we want to believe that God's going to answer every one of our prayers. But the reality is there's some things that are bigger than us. And his plan is always bigger than our plan. And it doesn't make sense when we're looking at it, but it makes perfect sense from his perspective. And so when we have this entitled mindset, what we're thinking is we deserve more than what we got. And so when God doesn't deliver like we think he should deliver, we get bitter and we get upset and we get unhappy and we get full of sadness and we get angry at God because he didn't deliver. So here's the question. Are you sitting in the seat of the entitled this morning? Because that is an immediate killer of joy. What does that mean? It means you might have to check your allegiances. What owns you right now? This is a question I had to ask myself. What owns me? What do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? 
what are you depending upon right now to bring you happiness? Because if you can name that thing, then that is what your allegiance is to. If it's a person, if it's a job, what is it right now that you are trying to find happiness out of? Because if it's anything other than God, I will guarantee you, you will not find your happiness. What seat are you sitting in right now? Because if you're sitting anywhere other than the lap of your God the Father, then I'm going to tell you right now, you will never, ever find happiness. Where are you sitting at right now? What is your allegiance to right now? What owns you at this moment? <laughs> and this is, this is what, see, joy, this is, this is what joy is. Joy is the flag that flies above the castle of the heart that says the king is on his throne. That's what joy is. Joy is the flag that flies above the castle of the heart to say the king is on his throne. Is the king on the throne of your heart right now? So many times we search for joy and we realize we're not sitting in the right place or the king of kings is not sitting on the throne of our heart or we're pursuing something else or our allegiances belong to something else and that's what's killing our joy. And so we need to turn away from these things that have captivated our mind and captivated our heart and pursue God and God alone. Look in verse 2. But his delight, this happy man, his delight is in the law of the Lord. Now the law of the Lord, that was not just the Ten Commandments, that was not just the writings of Moses. The law of the Lord is considered the the Bible. At the time, they didn't have the New Testament and all that stuff. They just had the Torah and and, and all the, the Old Testament prophets and stuff like that. And so that was the law of the Lord. But we have the entire Bible, the canonized scripture, New Testament, Old Testament. And so the law of the Lord is the Bible. And so we can input that word here. It says, but his delight is in the Bible. And in the Bible does he meditate day and night. That word meditate means like chew cud. Man, you're just chewing it and chewing it. You're thinking about it. One one scholar said it's like you're preaching it to yourself. Over and over again, you're just meditating on the word of God. So this is why this is a big deal. If you're having difficulty trying to find happiness, look what this happy man did. He found his delight in the Bible. Why is that a big deal? (laughs) Because we put so much stock into what this world gives us. We think that this world is supposed to make us happy, that this world is supposed to satisfy our every need, that this world is supposed to bring us joy. But we live in a broken world, and we live in a world full of broken people. This world is diseased and dying. They will never bring you satisfaction like you want it to. That's why when I read the word of God, I see a promise from Jesus that says if he's going to prepare a place for me, that one day he's going to come back and he's going to get me. So even in in the New Testament, when Paul is writing, he says that we're living in tents. Right now on this earth, man, this is my tent. But one day I'm moving from a tent to a mansion. And what does that mean for me? It means it doesn't matter what this world throws at me, that there's a coming a better day. There's coming a day where I'll be in heaven for all of eternity. And in heaven, I will have no disease. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sadness. In heaven, I'll get everything that I want. Everything that I've been looking for here on earth will be supplied to me in endless abundance in heaven. And why do I know that? Because I find my delight in the word of God. And the word of God tells me so. There's promises in here that I can cling to. So what what am I trying to tell you right now? Listen, believer... Saint, I want you to hear me. If you're a born-again believer of Christ in this room, this is what I want you to hear. What this world throws at you, 
the good, the bad, and the ugly, this is the worst you'll ever have. Because the best is yet to come. So, so, in saying that, there's a flip side of that coin. For those in this room who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, who've never trusted in Him, who've never called Him Lord and Savior, everything this world throws at you, the good and the bad and the ugly, this is the best you'll ever have. Because the worst is yet to come. And that is the reality. If there is a heaven, there has to be a hell. We can't automatically think we're going to heaven. That's not the default address. Hell is the default address. Heaven is a choice. But the reason I can rejoice, the reason why I can have happiness, the reason why I can be at peace in the hardest of times, because I know this world was never supposed to make me happy anyways. I understand that there's going to be pain in this world. I understand that God owes me nothing. But he gives it to me anyways. He's the father of good gifts, and I love that. And he gives gifts to me unexpectedly all the time, and I love it, and I praise his name for it. But if he, de- if he never did anything else other than send his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me, that is more than enough. Amen. He owes me nothing. And when you live in the mentality that this world is painful and full of, of, of letdown, but you're going to a place that is glorious where it doesn't even, you don't need a flashlight in heaven, you know that? You know why? Because God's glory shines so bright, it lights up the whole place. And so you don't even need a candle in heaven because you're just going to be in the ever, uh, ever abundant supply of his glory shining on you day and day and day. So when you're in a fruitless season, don't look for this world to give you happiness. Shoot your roots deep. Go into the word of God. Find your delight there. Ask yourself, God, what, am I allegiance, what is my allegiance to right now? Because if you're in a fruitless season, you're looking for something to rain down on you, you're in, you're in the wrong seat. You need to send your roots down deep into that river of life that's flowing within you. That Holy Spirit that resides in you has made you his home, his dwelling place, and find your comfort there. Go to the word of God, find you some inspiring scriptures that will keep you going. But here's the deal. I got a question for you. Do you know how to use this? Pastor Malcolm has been really battling and talking to us about how to use the Bible, how to read the Bible, how to apply the Bible. And this is the reality for a lot of us. If we don't know how to use it, we won't get delight from it. Do you know how to use the Bible? Do you know how to open it up and search the scriptures and find hope? Do you know how to apply the promises of God to your life? Because there's so many scriptures in here that give me life. The scripture that I read daily is what keeps me going in those fruitless seasons. How many times have you gone to the Bible in a very uh, uh, tumultuous time in your life and you have found hope from just reading one verse? It gives you life. That's how you keep your leaf green. The Word of God. You've got to learn how to use it. It does no good sitting on your shelf. It does no good sitting on your nightstand. It does no good sitting in your car from Sunday to Sunday. Use it. Apply it. Read it. Develop it in your own life. 
Don't be just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Send your roots deep and find him. This is what I want to do. I want to invite everyone to stand. I'm going to invite our band up and all those people that, that make the ending of the service possible. But while we're doing this, while you're standing, I want to, I want to give an invitation. Because in this room, I've already talked about, hey, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you're not a believer, then this world and everything this world throws at you, this is the best you'll ever get. Now, the Lord spoke to me last night as I was praying about this message. And this is what he told me to say. Listen, if you're a dad in this room, and you've got your kids next to you, and you've been married for some, I don't know how many years, I believe there's some daddies in this room that have been faking it. You know you're, you know you're not saved. You know you're lost. But you've been coming to church and pretending for so long that now in some way you feel ashamed and embarrassed if you do make a move. Can I tell you, you will not be embarrassed in this place. If you was to move in response to say, I want to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior this morning, I guarantee you, everyone in this church would celebrate with you. You would not be embarrassed. Listen, Mama, this goes for you too. 